this race was really the tail end of the blue wave, and people better get ready. Don't threaten me, young lady. But I'm ready. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Actually, not ready at all. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1, up in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV 102.3, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ 90.1, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN 94.7, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ 97.3, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream Coast to Coast. And around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, amongst many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me... From bradblog.com, just trying to keep up with it all. I should have known, uh, frankly, late in yesterday's show, Desi Doyen, when everything started to break, when <laughs> uh, the alerts, the iPhones, the Twitters, everything started going just nuts, really, yeah. at the end of the show. Uh, one late-breaking news story after another. It only got worse in the hours thereafter, after we went off the air. I mean, it was an unbelievable tsunami of news that kept breaking all night long. Yeah, and I'm glad that we actually got in and what we were able to get in yesterday before everything else all broke loose, because at least we got to cover some stuff. It kept going. We're gonna, we'll are yeah. we try to catch up with as much as we can here. But as we went off the air yesterday, we've got some follow-ups on, on those stories as they were breaking uh, that we covered. As we went off the air, we had the tragic news of 13 killed in... These horrific mud flows north of Los Angeles out here after a torrent of rain, just unbelievable amounts. Uh, at one point in one place, half an inch of rain in, what was it, five minutes? Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. Which is bad enough. Which is bad, indeed. Uh, so we just got it slammed yesterday in uh, Southern California after months of no rain at all, but particularly hard hit were the areas um, where the Thomas Fire, the largest fire in state history, had just ravaged parts of Ventura and Santa Barbara County north of L.A., um, and just to give you an idea of the size, I saw someone refer to this today. The the size of that fire in total was the size of Dallas and Miami 
put together. Combine. Dallas is a huge, really huge. spread yeah. out metropolitan area. So that's 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 big. So if you burned all of uh, Dallas, don't give me any ideas, <laughs> and all of Miami, that's the size of the fire we're talking about. That was what was now hit hard by rain, which led to these mud flows. The death death toll today, at least as a, as of air times, now stands at fifteen. Many uh, were still awaiting rescues as of early today. Twenty four are still said to be missing, so that death toll could still rise in, in the uh, in the coming hours here. Unfortunately, and uh, last night, as many as fifty had to be plucked off of roofs by helicopters because the devastation made it impossible for rescue crews to get into some of the areas by ground. This is where the rain hit, where the fires had just burned. Actually, some of them are still burning or were still burning. Yeah, the Thomas fire is is a little over 92% contained. It is still burning, by the way, even after that incredible rainstorm. And and it, it unleashed a torrent of rainfall on these hillsides that have been stripped of vegetation. The water completely just demolished these homes in in minutes. Yeah, and the extreme heat from those fires also apparently makes soil less absorbent. So uh, with no vegetation, non-absorbent soil, all the rocks, all the boulders just gave way. Uh, And this was not really like a, a mudslide as uh, I had remembered them or come to understand. This was like a mud flow. Right. And there's Explain actual technical difference differences between yeah. all these things. Landslides, mud flows, and mudslides. Mud flows are a mixture of water and mud that's more like a river, like a milkshake made of cement. A mm. mudslide is more like cake, and a landslide is rocks and boulders that come down all at once. The videos, if you've seen them uh, by now, have just been horrific coming out of there. We know those exact streets very well north of L.A. here, and uh, and, you know, seeing the 101, for example, uh, U.S. Highway 101, we call it the 101, turned into a just a river yes. uh, was incredible. The main artery here in Southern California uh, made famous, if only by O.J. Simpson and his white Bronco chase. <laughs> That was turned into a river. It remains closed, I think, for another day or so. Yeah, 30-mile stretch, closed by debris. You really? can't drive through two feet of mud, it turns out. Uh, and uh, as I note, the death toll could still increase, uh, though the weather, here's the good news, the weather has now cleared at the moment. It's beautiful. It looks like there's no rain uh, in the offing out here, uh, which is good for everyone struggling to uh, come back from what happened over the last 24 hours. Uh, not great for Southern California because we desperately need the rain. So uh, so that broke uh, as we got off the air yesterday. Then also before we got off the air, news broke of a landmark federal appeals court ruling tossing out North Carolina's congressional district map and ordering new ones like immediately uh, due to uh, the Republicans' partisan gerrymandering of that state. More on that in a minute, hopefully, if I can get to it. Then the news came uh, after we got off the air, just afterwards, that Donald Trump's Interior Department has reversed their position on offshore drilling that had been announced just days ago to open up some 90% of the U.S. coastline to new offshore drilling, but the administration has only changed their position to block that Uh, on drilling off the coast of Florida at the moment because Republican Governor Rick Scott opposes new drilling. More on that in a moment as well. Then news of a federal court blocking Trump's lifting of DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, 
the Obama-era program that protected the children of undocumented immigrants who had come here with their parents when they were very young, protected them from being deported. That was temporarily blocked by a U.S. federal court last night. More on that in a moment. And then... A 7.6 magnitude earthquake stuck struck in the uh, in the Caribbean Sea, and I was beginning very much to worry that news of locusts and the slaying of the firstborn <laughs> might be coming next, which I probably shouldn't even be joking about at this point in this country, in this mess. All of that does not even include the hundreds of pages of congressional testimony the Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein suddenly released yesterday in the middle of the day from the Senate testimony of the founder of Fusion GPS regarding the so-called Trump-Russia dossier compiled by former MI6 British intelligence agent Christopher Steele. And then the breaking news that Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohn, is suing BuzzFeed for having published that dossier last year and Fusion GPS for having created it as opposition research, first for Republicans during the primary and then for the Clinton campaign thereafter, because as Cohen seems to be claiming, as I understand it, uh, the allegations in this dossier are wrong. But on what grounds he thinks he can sue, I have no idea, unless he believes uh, either BuzzFeed or Fusion GPS have knowingly published something that they know to be defamatory or libelous. Unless he has evidence of that, he has no case. Zero. I think he's just filing it to uh, make people believe that he believes it's wrong, whether it actually is or not, which is still difficult to know. But both Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele still seem to be standing by all of that. And, of course, Trump has a record. Uh, Trump and uh, friends have a record of suing or threatening to sue just to score publicity points and then, you know, never actually file a suit or they just drop the case later on when nobody's looking. You can just ask all of those women, about 16 of them, who claim that Trump sexually harassed or assaulted them in some way, who he promised to sue after the election. But I haven't heard anything about any of those lawsuits. Have you? <laughs> no. But now that you mentioned it. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, this is just this is havoc. This is chaos. This is, and it's not just you if you're feeling that way. Um, and, and while some of this news would have happened anyway, the Trump administration just makes it all worse because, you know, by the moment, because he clearly has no clue what they are actually doing. At least if you bother to pay attention to what's going on in this country. I mean, we seem to be in absolute havoc and this is not getting better at this point. And almost all of it seems to start with Donald Trump and his Republican Party that continue to enable him this is madness. So, uh, Desi Doyen, cancel today's guests. Uh, it's going to be just you and I here. Wish us luck trying to walk through as much of this stuff that you need to know that isn't otherwise being covered to death elsewhere, including a number of election voting related stories that are otherwise getting almost completely buried, uh, even though we're now in a crucial election year. And the only reliable way towards light at the end of our collective uh, chaotic tunnel is through the voting booth this year, if we are allowed to get to it. So, uh, But let's start here for now and see how much we can get to today. The federal judge on Tuesday night temporarily blocked the Trump administration's decision to end a program protecting young immigrants from deportation. U.S. District Judge William Alsup granted a request by California and other plaintiffs 
to prevent Donald Trump from ending the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program while their lawsuits play out in court. Alsop said that lawyers and the judge said that uh, lawyers in favor of DACA clearly demonstrated that the young immigrants were likely to suffer serious irreparable harm without court action. The judge also said lawyers have a strong chance of succeeding at trial. DACA, as you may know, has protected about 800,000 uh, people who were brought here to the U.S. illegally as children or came with families uh, who overstayed their visas. The program includes hundreds of thousands of college-age students uh, who have been here for years who would be uprooted and forced to leave school to leave their jobs, to leave the country, to basically be sent back to countries that many of them have never known, with or without their own children, by the way, who would now be U.S. citizens. The judge considered five separate lawsuits filed in, North Cal in Northern California, including one by the California, by the state of California and three other states, another by the governing board of the University of California school system, Alsup wrote in his decision that DACA covers a class of immigrants whose presence seemingly all agree pose the least, if any, threat and allows them to sign up for honest labor on the condition of continued good behavior. This has become an important program, he wrote, DACA recipients and their families, um, an important program for them, for the employers who hire them, for our tax treasuries and for our economy. Alsop also questioned whether the administration had conducted a thorough review before ending the program. Silly question. Silly Alsop. We're talking about the Donald Trump administration. They don't conduct reviews thoroughly or otherwise before doing anything. And of course, they hadn't in this case uh, because the Trump administration just don't roll that way. Justification uh, to do stuff. They got it. Uh, Fox News says we should do it. So there's your justification. So <laughs> we did it. But of course, that does not hold up well in, you know, a court of law where they expect rational, documented justification for changing policies and rules and regulations, particularly those that affect hundreds of thousands of people, our treasury, taxes, uh, employers, employees, everybody else. People took out loans, enrolled in school, and even made decisions about whether to get married and start families on the basis of DACA. And now they face horrific consequences from the loss of the program. That, according to Jeffrey Davidson, an attorney for the University of California Governing Board, the government considered none of this, he said, none of this at all when they decided to rescind DACA. The president, for his part, attacked that uh, federal court decision via Twitter, as he does on Wednesday, saying it showed the justice system was, quote, broken and unfair. Hmm. I don't know why it's either broken or unfair in this case uh, to him, but he's, you know, the president of the United States and everybody's terribly unfair to him, apparently. Well, whenever they don't do what he wants. Right. Like a five year old. Trump on Tuesday uh, had continued negotiations, meanwhile, with congressional leaders about a possible deal to revive the program's protections ahead of a March deadline, which will end all of this and uh, send out, you know, start the deportations of 800,000 kids. 
So he uh, televised these this this conference yesterday, this meeting with Democrats yesterday for an hour. It was kind of remarkable because it became clear that he has actually no position on any of this. He would change his own position from minute to minute in these conversations and basically ended up by saying, well, whatever you guys decide to do, uh, members of uh, Republican and Democratic members of Congress, I will sign it. I'll sign anything. You come up with anything and I will sign it. And I will declare how wonderful I am and what a great victory it is. Uh, he was talking about uh, in these negotiations at points about you know doing it in exchange for tighter border security. Trump's earlier statements in support of the DACA program the judge found in the case out here in California. Uh, those earlier statements and tweets and so forth ended up hurting the government's case in court in finding that it was in the public's interest to at least partially continue the DACA program for now. The judge cited tweets from Trump that appeared to express support for DACA's goals, including one from September in which he said, does anybody really want to throw out good, educated, and accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military? Really? That was a tweet from Donald Trump, who seems to be arguing against the, the thing that he did. He's the one who ended this program. He's the one who would be responsible for throwing out good, educated, and accomplished young people who have jobs and serve in the military. Yes, it is this insane. Justice Department spokesperson Devin O'Malley said in an email to BuzzFeed that the uh, the department will continue to vigorously defend this position nonetheless and looks forward to vindicating its position in further litigation. That position, if you lost track, would be the position that we need to end DACA, the one that Donald Trump says he does not want to end, despite signing an order to end it. Uh, California Attorney General... Javier Becerra said in a statement after the uh, after the ruling came down that it was a huge step in the right direction. He says America is and has been home to dreamers who courageously came forward, applied for DACA, did everything the federal government asked them to, followed DACA's rules, succeeded in school, at work and business, contributed to building a better America. And he says we will fight at every turn for their rights and opportunities so they may continue to contribute uh, to America. Uh, but all of this, uh, you know, one of the judge's uh, concerns was that, uh, first off, the DOJ came up with a completely alternative argument saying that, hey, if if the one we're currently making doesn't work, how about this one? But nowhere in the administration, in the administrative record, the judge wrote, did the attorney general or the agency consider uh, the idea whether defending the program in court would or would not be worth the litigation risk. That was the alternative argument. They said, well, you know what? We can't afford to defend this against uh, a lawsuit by Republican state attorneys general. Therefore, we have to get rid of it. But this was the first time they came up with it. It was, uh, as the judge wrote, the new spin by government counsel is a classic post hoc rationalization. He wrote that plaintiffs are entitled to learn of all the flaws, if any more there may be, lurking in this whole record. 
None of it can be done before the March 5 deadline. He said one such possibility suggested by plaintiffs is that the rescission was contrived, that's the reversal of the, the policy, was contrived to give the administration a bargaining chip to demand funding for a border wall in exchange for reviving DACA. And he cited another presidential tweet after uh, after our hearing, he said, uh, that gives credence to this claim. Another possibility raised by plaintiffs is racial animus. All of those theories deserve the benefit of the full administrative record, which would be impossible to litigate to a fair and final conclusion before March 5. Uh, the judge made clear that his order would not stop the government from deporting anyone including DACA recipients who, it, if uh, the government determines they pose a risk to national security or public safety or otherwise, uh, in their judgment, if they deserve to be removed, they can do so. So there really is no basis for doing this at this point. Other than and uh, that bargaining chip, that sort of jumped out at me because that's what this has become. Uh, you know, he, he basically said, I'm getting rid of this. Stop me before I you know, deport these people. You have to deal with me. You have to give me uh, my border wall or my uh, money for whatever nonsense. Uh, it seems clear this was done for nothing more than a bargaining chip, which is not the way government works in the U.S. or not the way it used to. Yeah. And one thing I do want to point out is yep. thank God that the judicial system, at least in this case and a couple of other cases, the judicial system is holding the line for now. For now. And it, it, it just underscores that, that that is why Senator Mitch McConnell, the majority leader of the Senate, and Republicans refused to allow votes on so many of Obama's judicial appointees, nominees, so that they to could get as many of their people in as they could. Yeah. To stop such, uh, and they're such, doing it. such constitutional officers right. from acting. So uh, we're lucky for the moment. But yeah, they're going to appeal this. It's going to move up. They'll find their uh, judges. If not, they'll get to the U.S. Supreme Court where they'll uh, they've got a stolen uh, Republican majority who will probably do anything they want. But speaking of knee jerk administration decisions that frankly have no basis in actual study or any type of documented legitimate review other than what, you know, people on Fox News and Breitbart have been, uh, you know, call demanding for years. That doesn't count as uh, governmental review. Uh, and speaking of bargaining chips, we have this. The Trump administration says it will not allow oil drilling off the coast of Florida, which reverses the uh, administration's decision made just days ago about this. This after pressure from Republican Florida Governor Rick Scott. Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke said uh, after a brief meeting with Scott at the Tallahassee airport that drilling would be, quote, off the table when it comes to the waters in the eastern Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic Ocean of Florida. That change, of course, just five days after Zinke announced the offshore drilling plan highlights the political importance of Florida where Donald Trump narrowly won the state's uh, 29 electoral votes reportedly in the 2016 election and has encouraged Rick Scott to run for the Senate. Uh, Zinke said that it was because Florida, quote, is obviously unique. And they have a multi-billion dollar tourism business <laughs> built on sunshine and miles of white sand. Uh, Zinke announced plans last week to greatly expand that offshore drilling uh, from the Atlantic to the Arctic to the Pacific Oceans, uh, in, in the Gulf of Mexico. 
But Scott is expected to run for Senate later this year, so he came out against the Trump administration plan because drilling off the coast of Florida, actually drilling off the coast of anywhere, I don't think, is very popular right now. No, is it? it is not, except for one place. Where? Maine. Maine, with the dumbest governor in the United States. He's exactly. the only governor. All of the other governors, am and I right? All, yep. All of the other governors on the East Coast and the West Coast have all said that they will fight to the death on this. Republican well, maybe not to the death, and but. Democratic. Yes. Both, uh, they're all opposed. Bipartisan opposition. Uh, Republican governors uh, uh, from Maryland, South Carolina, Massachusetts have all come out against this. But they haven't gotten, uh, the, the, you know, this the same uh, generous consideration that the state of Florida has for some reason because of their uniquely beautiful beaches. Um, so, you know, we don't want to take a chance at ruining those, that beautiful coastline. But all of the other states, the hell with them. I mean, it seems like what Zinke is doing here is acknowledging that as a dangerous uh, possibility that there could be spills off the coast of Florida. Yeah, he's all but admitting it. Uh, but nowhere else? No, yeah. We don't have to worry. The hell with North Carolina? The hell with Maine? Maine's beautiful coast? What about the unique coasts of the beautiful Olympic Peninsula up in uh, Washington State? Or the breathtaking coasts off Oregon and California? I guess, who cares if they are fouled? That seems to be what uh, what the administration is saying here, but not Florida. Don't mess with them. Congressman Ted Lieu put out a statement uh, today saying Secretary Ryan Zinke's action of exempting just Florida from the Trump administration's proposed offshore drilling plan smacks of naked political favoritism. He adds, it's also illegal. Exempting Florida, but not another large coastal state like California, has no rational basis. It's an abuse of discretion, and it's arbitrary and capricious. Secretary Zinke says Lou stated he is exempting Florida because its coasts are heavily reliant on tourism as an economic driver. He admits that's true. Uh, Lou does, Congressman Lou. Uh, he's our, uh, well, one of the representatives out here in Los Angeles. Uh, he says that's true. Florida's coastal communities, coastal economy accounts for 79 percent of Florida's GDP. That is big and they would lose a lot of money if something happened there. He adds, it's also true, however, that California's coasts are also heavily reliant on tourism. As an economic driver, California's coastal economy accounts for 80 percent of California's GDP. In fact, California's coastal economy is unique and so important that the federal government produced an entire report on the critical importance of California's coastal economy, not just to California, but to our nation. So if he did this just for Rick Scott, just for political purposes, uh, you can't do that. Nope. That's going to give plenty of legal ammo to all the states that are you against bet. it. When asked what uh, what caused the administration to change its position on Florida drilling, Zinke said bluntly, quote, the governor. Uh, and, of course, Scott, Governor Scott was very happy about this. But Democratic Senator Bill Nelson of Florida said the meeting with Zinke was a political stunt orchestrated by the Trump administration to help Rick Scott who uh, Nelson has said uh, said has long wanted to drill off of Florida's coast. Yeah, he was uh, for offshore drilling before he was against it. 
before he decided to run for the U.S. Senate, I suppose, and it uh, had become so unpopular. Nelson said, uh, I've spent my entire life fighting to keep oil rigs away from our coast, but now suddenly Secretary Zinke announces plans to drill off Florida's coast and five days later agrees to take Florida off the table? I don't believe it, Nelson said in a statement. We shouldn't be playing politics with the future of Florida. In other words, just trying to make uh, Scott look like the hero here, I guess. Of course, industry groups praised the announcement, the drillers, the big fossil fuel. Uh, It would be the most expansive uh, proposal for offshore drilling in decades. Meanwhile, a coalition of more than 60 environmental groups denounced the plan, saying it would impose severe and unacceptable harm to America's oceans, coastal economies, public health and marine life. So let the lawsuits continue, I'm guessing. Speaking of lawsuits, boy, a lot of our stories today start judge finds, judge denies. Uh, uh, some uh, legal concerns about your elections and your only way out of this mess in 2018. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, we are running with the devil here. Try, running like the devil, trying to keep up with everything that's going on. The U.S. Supreme Court today heard oral arguments uh, in a case that could uh, get you tossed off of the voting rolls if you have the, if God forbid, you decide to not vote for two years in a row in a federal election. That's what the state of Ohio has been doing. Uh, The uh, uh, secretary of state there, John Husted, has been arguing that, hey, if, you know, you don't vote in midterm elections like many people don't, and then for whatever reason you don't vote in the next presidential election, they can remove you from the rolls. Uh, Republicans have already said, oh, you know what, We've, we've won with photo ID restrictions. We've got those in place everywhere. Now it's time to start purging voters from the rolls because it, it, for, for the crime of not voting, the U.S. Supreme Court justices seemed to be um, divided today yeah. uh, based on the reporting. They did. They did. And so once again, it will come down to Justice Kennedy, probably. I'm it guessing. looks like it. Um, and and the, the liberal justices were in support of allowing people to have the right not to vote and pointing out that the law does not say at any point that voters can be purged from as, the rolls as, for not voting. As a matter of fact, it says they cannot, according to the National Voter Registration Act, specifically says they can't be removed for not voting. So I suspect we'll have more on that in the future. But in the meantime, of those who already voted, uh, like last November in those uh, off-year elections in Virginia, where the entire House of uh, Delegates was up for a vote, well, those House of Delegates were sworn in today, and Democrat Shelley Simons conceded 
in the 94th House of Delegates District in Virginia. Uh, she conceded her race to Republican Delegate David Yancey um, just moments before the General Assembly was to be gaveled into session. She announced her decision on Twitter, although I would add it actually has no legal meaning whatsoever. She has until the 17th to ask for an, uh, a second recount in this race since she won the first one by one single vote until Republicans were able to come up with a vote that had been previously discarded as an overvote, and they decided, oh, wait, this is a vote for the Republican. So uh, it's a tie, and we'll draw out of a bowl, and we'll find out who's the winner, and they did draw out of the bowl last week, and David Yancey, the Republican, was uh, determined the winner of that drawing. Now, Simons had the right, still has the right, to ask for a second recount, which... I would recommend she does. Uh, she said uh, on Twitter that I've conceded because I do not see any legal pathways forward and I want to rep I want representation for the 94th district today, she said. Now, do you think if that had been the other way around, if the Republican had won that drawing and had the right to a recount, do you think he would have just conceded? Absolutely without asking not. for that count? Absolutely not. In an interview, Simon said that she was uh, watching what was happening in the 28th district in Virginia, where Democrats have filed an appeal to a court decision not to grant uh, a, a, a special election. Uh, I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, in that district, more than 140 voters got the wrong ballots on Election Day in a race that was decided in favor of the Republicans by just 73 votes. Yet late last week, a judge denied a lawsuit seeking a new election there. More on that in a moment. As I say, Simons made her announcement uh, in the 94th race, uh, 94th district, about a half hour before the House of Delegates uh, was was to kick off their legislative session, their new legislative session. She said that she did not feel pressure from Democratic leadership to pursue a recount. Simons has said and reiterated on uh, on Wednesday that she will run again for that seat in 2019 when uh, the whole House of Delegates comes up again. She said about Democrats, they've been very uh, considerate. And at the end of the day, I'm on the Democrat team. I want what's best for the party. Yancey had won that drawing last week, so he will retain his seat. Uh, she called him, apparently, uh, to concede this morning and made one request that he talk with her about Medicaid expansion. That's the platform that she and several other Democrats had run on during the election season, and it's likely to be a key issue uh, that comes up during this legislative session. Remember, the Republicans there had refused, the Republicans in the legislature had refused to expand uh, Medicaid under uh, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, when they had a 66-34 majority, the Republicans did. 66-34 majority in the House of Delegates in Virginia until that election uh, in November, which has now, at least for the moment, resulted in a 51-49 Republican advantage in the House. But it could have been all but wiped out a, had Simons uh, fought, and uh, B, in this other race in the 28th District, had the judge decided another way. That's still being challenged, I believe, although Democrats sure do seem to be in a hurry to roll over in these races. Uh, Yancey uh, is, uh, told Simons that, uh, well, he, he said, we could talk about it later. 
He said that we would be we would sit down and have a meeting. Uh, Simon said today, I thought was a very appropriate time to have that discussion, but he wanted to have that later. And uh, here's a newsflash for Shelley Simons. He ain't going to have that discussion ever. <laughs> yeah. Or if he is, he's not going to do a damn thing about it, even though at least half of the voters in the 94th district and more than half of the voters in the state of Virginia want a Democrat um, who who would vote to expand Medicaid to some 400,000 Virginians. So, uh, and how, by the way, how dishonest are the Republicans on these things now? Well, when it looked like Simons, the Democrat, might win the drawing, the random drawing last week, uh, entitling Yancey to a, a second recount, the Republican, uh, the GOP said that they wouldn't seat anybody while a recount was taking place. But now, according to the Daily Press in, uh, in Virginia, Newport News, Virginia, Republican leadership told the Richmond Times-Dispatch earlier Wednesday that they, quote, fully intend to seat Yancey even with the threat of a recount. Gosh, Republicans being hypocritical. What a shock. Knock me over with a feather. Uh, the tie in the 94th district seat, which ended uh, with 11,608 votes for each of the candidates, was broken last week by that drawing. Uh, but uh, by the way, I finally heard back from the election director in the city of Newport News today after uh, the uh, this had all taken place and after she said that she'd have to get back to me previously uh, after she had to check with the electronic voting tabulation vendor ESNS to find out if the optical scan computers that they use in Newport News, if they were set to retain all ballot images that were captured by the system as digital images uh, so that we could find out if there's one vote, this one ballot in question, if we could find out if it actually had a strike through it over Simon's name on the night of the election or if that uh, cross was added at some point later in the post-election chain of custody. She says... Uh, that their systems are set to only retain write-in ballot images. So we cannot go back to look at the digital image and make sure that that strike-through uh, was you know, not added during the post-election chain of custody. We can't go back and find out. But she had to go to the voting, the private voting machine company, ES&S, to ask them, oh, how did you guys set up our tabulators here? that not only count the votes on election night, but also count them in the recounts. And in the second recount, had Simon asked for one. Um, so uh, Vicki Lewis, the uh, election official there in Newport News, also seemed resistant in my conversation with her to flipping that switch for future elections. I pointed out why this would have been important here and helpful here, if only to assuage concerns that this strike was strike through was added after the election. Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen. Oh, yeah, that's how it that's how the ballot looked on election night when it was initially scanned. But she seemed somewhat resistant to flipping that switch. She said she talked to the rest of the election board there. She did not really seem to understand the issue at all in our email back and forth on the matter. She <laughs> didn't even, well, she didn't even understand what these that's, images were. That is quite discouraging. As to that other, yeah. Welcome to my world. As to that other Virginia race, uh, remember, all of this is for control of the Virginia State House, which was 
she had a huge Republican majority before the November election. And now, as of today, it's 5149 based on these two races that are still being challenged or that could still be challenged. Um, otherwise, had the Democrats picked up just one of them, it would have been 50 50. There would have been a power split. Uh, or or even 5149 in favor of the Democrats if they fought even half as hard as Republicans do in these elections. Uh, a judge on Friday denied a request to block the seating of the Republican in that 28th district race that was tainted when uh, about 140 uh, voters were given the wrong ballot in a race where the Republican won by 73 votes after the recount. A bunch of uh, Republicans in uh, a bunch of voters in a uh, in the neighboring Republican district, very heavily Republican district, were given the ballots for this race. A bunch of voters in this race were given ballots for the uh, heavily Republican district next door. And yet a judge, I should add a Ronald Reagan appointee, turned down the Democrats' request for a new election in that race. He said that they can have one uh, maybe in the future, as the uh, case was argued, if the Democrats continue to argue it. But for now, they, the judge allowed the Republican to be seated. Uh, the Democrats uh, filed an emergency appeal late last Friday of that uh, district court decision which Mark Elias, the Democrat attorney, said uh, denied our, our client's request for a new election in Virginia HD 28. He said, we can't say in Virginia that every vote counts and then tell 147 people except yours. So he filed an emergency appeal there. And on Wednesday morning, an appeals court decided against the Democrats push for a new election. That, according to the Daily Press in Newport News, that's just one reason why district ma district maps matter in elections. Here is another one. Federal judges ruled on Tuesday that North Carolina's congressional district map drawn by legislative Republicans is illegally gerrymandered because of excessive partisanship that gave GOP a rock-solid advantage for most seats in the U.S. Congress from North Carolina and uh, this federal uh, uh, this panel of federal judges said that including, by the way, Republican appointees said that uh, this uh, these maps must be quickly redone within the next two weeks. The rule in time for the 2018 elections, the ruling marks the second time this decade that the GOP's congressional boundaries in North Carolina have been thrown out by a by a, a, a federal court panel in 2016. Another panel tossed out two majority black congressional districts that were drawn in 2011, saying there was no justification for using race as the predominant factor in forming those districts. And uh, now this uh, redrawn map after that incident was the basis for this new round of challenges, which has resulted in the entire map being thrown out. The latest lawsuit was uh, filed by uh, election uh, voting rights advocacy groups and Democrats. They said the replacement for the racial gerrymandering uh, also contained unlawful partisan gerrymandering. Those who sued 
argued that Republican leg- legislators went too far when they followed criteria that was designed to retain the party's 10 to 3 majority. Remember, this is a state uh, that has now just elected a uh, Democratic governor. A Democratic governor back in uh, the November 2016 elections. It went to Barack Obama back in 2008. It's a very evenly deci- divided state, and yet Republicans have used partisan gerrymandering to retain a 10 to 3 majority. Uh, the uh, it, All of this did not go over well with the judges. Uh, at the time of the debate, according to the order, uh, the debate about the redrawn maps, House Districting Chief in North Carolina attempted to justify the criteria by saying, quote, I think electing Republicans is better than electing Democrats. So... I drew this map to help foster what I think is better for the country. He just came out and said it because at the time, while it was clear that partisan gerrymandering was uh, an unconstitutional violation, uh, he thought, I guess, that partisan gerrymandering was just fine because there has not been a ruling yet by the Supreme Court, that partisan gerrymandering is also unlawful. I think you meant to say racial gerrymandering was considered unconstitutional. Yeah, I said it wrong? Yes. Racial gerrymandering is unconstitutional. Partisan gerrymandering, well, we don't know yet, but now we have several court decisions. Uh, in this case, the uh, judges quoted that comment from that guy and said, that is not a choice the Constitution allows legislative map drawers to make. To decide that it would be better for Republicans uh, <laughs> to uh, for the country. The ruling was the first time that a federal court had blocked a congressional map because of partisan gerrymandering. And it has instantly endangered Republican seats in the coming election. The judge, uh, James Wynn Jr., uh, I believe he's an Obama appointee, uh, wrote a biting nearly 200-page opinion saying that Republicans in North Carolina's legislature had been, quote, motivated by invidious partisan intent as they carried out their obligation to uh, divide the state into 13 congressional districts. President Trump, as I noted, carried North Carolina in 2016, but the state elected a Democrat at the same time on the same day. Uh, and yet, even with North Carolinians, uh, North Carolinians uh, favoring Democrats uh, for president in 08 and the governor in 2016, they are still wildly outnumbered thanks to these maps. The unusually blunt decision by the panel could lend momentum to two other challenges on gerrymandering that are already before the Supreme Court and that the North Carolina case could join if Republicans make good on their vow to appeal the, uh, the Tuesday night ruling. In October, the court, the Supreme Court heard an appeal of another three-judge panel's ruling that Republicans had also unconstitutionally gerrymandered Wisconsin's state assembly in an attempt to relegate Democrats to a permanent minority. That's worked out. Um, so first we have a ruling that you can't do it when it comes to state legislative maps. Now we have a ruling that you can't do it when it comes to Congressional maps, Republicans were doing it like crazy in both cases, as the judges found through these lengthy trials. And now we're waiting on the Supreme Court 
to decide whether all of this is unconstitutional or not. Now, the Republicans, as you know, have a stolen 5-4 to four majority on the U.S. Supreme Court. So, who knows? I think this is, uh, we talked to, was it Mark Joseph Stern on the show a yeah. few weeks ago about the case? Yeah, that's right. He was at the U.S. Supreme Court. He said there is no question. There is no question had Mitch McConnell not blocked Barack Obama's appointee to, uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court for a year in an unprecedented move, there is no question that these decisions at the lower courts would be approved by the U.S. Supreme Court. But now we just don't know. We just don't know. And uh, he was he was concerned that the court, uh, specifically Justice Kennedy, was leaning towards uh, throwing this out and allowing these partisan gerrymanders forever, essentially. On the other hand, if they decide against partisan gerrymandering, it could shake up maps all over this country in advance of the uh, 2018 election or the 2020 elections. So uh, we will see. Um, Judge Wynn said that a wealth of evidence proves that the General Assembly's intent to subordinate the interests of non-Republican voters and, quote, entrench Republican domination of the state's congressional delegation is a violation of the Constitution. Um, so that's where we are. That will no doubt be challenged right now. They are forced to come up with a new map in two weeks because the primaries for 2018 for U.S. Congress will be soon starting. I suspect they're going to appeal that, and I suspect their friends in the U.S. Supreme Court are going to let them hold. I suspect they will run out the clock uh, and not have to do this before 2018. But what do I know? Just 15 years or so of watching them do crap exactly like this. Quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. We really need your support now more than ever. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. That's bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com as havoc and chaos reign. <laughs> this is madness. This is just all madness right now in this well, country. It's yep. got to end soon, doesn't it? Uh, no, it doesn't actually have to end soon, but you did call it right at the start. You called him the chaos president. Yeah. There you go. I should have called him the chaos king. There you go. Uh, well, I'm exhausted. You have, uh, you, why don't you take the story, the lead on this story? This yes. is amazing. This, this is, is this hysterical. is actually some very good news to end on. So on yeah. Monday, the federal... And it has a great punchline or Yes, two. it does. So, so anyway, on Monday, the Federal yeah. Energy Regulatory Commission, known as FERC, unanimous, unanimously rejected a proposal by Energy Secretary Rick Perry that would have propped up nuclear and coal power plants that have been struggling to compete in electricity markets. That's because natural gas and renewable energy are much cheaper to use, and that's why the uh, coal and nuclear plants are now uneconomical. And so the uh, Energy Department here was trying to 
pick winners and losers, essentially. Exactly. Which they pretend they're against. All yeah, right, go so, ahead. So what, uh, what Perry was proposing was that FERC would force taxpayers to subsidize coal and nuclear plants by uh, favoring power plants that can store a 90-day supply of fuel on site, which, of course, renewable energy and natural gas plants can't do. And that was really widely seen by critics everywhere as an effort to alter the balance of competitive free market electricity markets that regulators have been trying to protect since the 1980s and to cultivate. And it would have largely helped just coal and nuclear companies. So this was under a, a part of a study for grid resiliency, yes, correct? Yes. And he so was claiming... This is what yeah. Perry was claiming. He claimed that yeah. coal and nuclear power plants would do better in extreme weather events like this polar vortex that we just had, yeah. you know, that, uh, and also the one that gripped the nation four years yeah. ago. It was also, of course, widely seen as an excuse because in reality, we already know that having fuel on site does not protect you from power outages. What happens in extreme weather events... Our transmission lines get knocked down. And in fact, that just happened just recently with this last outbreak of extreme cold. One of the few outages that occurred was because of a failed transmission line that took offline a New, New England nuclear power plant. So, so uh, basically, the five-member mem- uh, five commission, which is politically independent, mm-hmm. it includes four people. This is who, FERC, right? This is FERC. Federal Ed- Energy Regulatory Commission. The fe- yeah, this is the FERC five-member panel. Right. Remember, Four of them are appointed by President Trump. Three of them are Republicans. So this was a widely seen uh, bad idea by critics and anybody who actually understands anything about electricity so, markets. And they, and they turned it down. They turned it down. They said, no, Rick Perry, your scheme requiring a 90-day supply of energy or fuel. And paying those companies. In other words, uh, organizing right. rates so that taxpayers would pay those companies to keep that site, that's that fuel stored on site. Stored on site, which means that you can't shut down the coal plants because your plants, your power plants have to have a 90-day supply. So nuclear and coal are the only ones who meet that requirement. Exactly. So they'd get a lot more money and your electricity rates would go up. All right. And all five members was unanimous. Yes. All five me- members said, Rick Perry, your plan stinks. Yep. No, no, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. And in fact, it's really against free market ideals. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's exactly against what it is that Republicans pretend we're against uh, picking winners and losers. And it's really, really dumb. And it's even dumber than that. Because uh, for Donald Trump's former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, came out after this ruling, after this decision from FERC, and said uh, and blamed for this, uh, for turning this down. He blamed the deep state <laughs> in a tweet to uh, pointing out uh, this uh, that federal reg- regulators had rejected Perry's plan. He said the deep state is very real. More government officials who don't support the Trump agenda. Well, <laughs> these were four Donald Trump appointees. Yes. So Donald Trump is now a part of the deep state. Ooh. It would seem. Uh, the, uh, the Four of the five members appointed by Trump, but I guess they are the deep state. The New York Times cited an analysis uh, from the resources for the future that found that the new rule would have cost uh, electricity end users $72 billion. Yep. 
And uh, also an estimated $217 billion in environmental damages in in that time. Remember when um, Obama was criticized for saying that um, his uh, his power plan would what was the quote would necessarily cause coal plants to close. Uh, no, it would necessarily cause prices to skyrocket oh, I'm sorry. for yes, consumers, yes, yes, right? Yes, he did. Well, this would cost 72 billion dollars for end users, electricity end users. Uh, in addition, a bipartisan group of eight former FERC commissioners also wrote in urging them to reject this proposal. But Lewandowski, the um, but to to him, the public's the public decision was uh, actually the result of a deep state insurgency. But also what nobody seems to be talking about here is the fact that this whole idea appears to be that for the benefit of one guy, one guy named Robert Murray, one crazy coal baron who would have benefited massively from this rule because otherwise these coal plants are, are done for in this country. Yeah, they can't compete. And so uh, Robert Murray claimed he, he had nothing to do with it. I don't know anything about this, uh, but he's uh, very close to Donald Trump. And there was a report. Where is it here? Uh, there was. Yeah. In in uh, uh, in Greenwire in November, uh, Murray said he didn't have any involvement in drafting this proposal in these times, then published photographs the next month showing Murray at a March meeting with Energy Secretary Perry, handing him a document that the publications Kate Aronoff described as, quote, a proposal to alter the policies of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to favor coal plants as a way to increase, quote, grid reliability. So he just made it up. He, he just lied. said, I had nothing to do with it. What do I know? Robert Murray, CEO of Murray Coal, lied. And I know, shocking, breaking news. <laughs> and uh, by the way, Governor Perry, then Texas Governor Perry, now Energy Secretary Rick Perry, received more than $100,000 during his 2012 presidential run from Murray Energy donations. There you go. Imagine that. All right. Uh, so anyway, there's some good news. We've ended with good news today See? for a change. It's there. Thanks to you, Desi Doyen. All right. Uh, thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. You can download our uh, our shows anytime at bradblog.com for free. Though if you stop by bradblog.com slash donate, you, you, yes you, will have the opportunity to become a regular supporter of this program. In return, you will get this program. <laughs> That's all we can offer you, but we greatly appreciate those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate as we struggle to stay on air. Uh, during this 2018 uh, election cycle. Uh, I, it's a critical time. No kidding. Uh, all right. Who else do I need? To, oh, yeah. My email is bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I can be found as simply the Brad Blog. And I think that's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, same Brad time, same Brad channel. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh, oh, oh.